Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Today we're going to begin this three-part series, and we do this every year. And the aim every year is to help you understand that what God wants to do is not just about you, but it's about others beyond you. And I don't know if you're anything like me, I, I like to think about me. Does anybody else like to think about yourself? Yeah, raise, everybody raise your hand. Go ahead, be on there. Okay, make sure I'm in the right church full of honest people. We, we do have to think of our own needs and we think of ourselves. And we, we should think of our own generation. We should think of our own generation. But as believers in Jesus Christ, as I'm going to show today, we should be always thinking about the next generation. Because what, what God does in our generation will just be in our generation if we're not thinking about the next generation. How many of y'all know God is a generational God? Are y'all with me today? Come on, my favorite service, talk to me. How many of y'all know God is a generational God? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. He is the God of, well, you can put your name in there as well. God is a generational God. And so with that said, starting right now, I'm going to preach a series to you on the topic of legacy. And let me ask you this very simple question. What comes to mind when you hear the word legacy? What comes to mind? You, you don't have to say it out loud, but what, what comes to mind for you? I think for, for most of us, we think of money and we think of maybe real estate or an inheritance. Raise your hand if you think in those terms. How many of you are looking forward to getting some, some money that maybe somebody left behind for you? Anybody? Anybody? But, but by the way, listen, if, you, if you're not going to receive an inheritance, and maybe you're, maybe you're one of the lucky ones who will, but if maybe you're one of the unlucky ones who won't, listen, the next time you get behind an armored money truck, here's your prayer. Lord, I need you to open one more door for me. We know, let's be honest, we, we do think of money. We do. Most people do. But, but really, legacy is not really about money. And I want to emphasize in this, series, in this series that it's really not about money. Uh, legacy is really about who we are. It's about our example. It's about our character. It's not just about what we leave behind, but how our example influences future generations. That's really what legacy is all about. It's about this, the future influenced by you, but without you. In other words, you living in a certain way to influence people in the future, though you won't be alive then, your, your influence and your character will be, it will carry on to impact future peoples. And so it's the stone of your life dropped into the water of history that causes a ripple effect for days and months and years to come. I'm talking today about what starts with an L I'm talking about y'all talk to me legacy that that's what I'm going to preach to you about today. And so when I think about legacy, the first person that I, I naturally think about is Jesus himself. Now, let, let me be clear when I talk about Jesus, what I mean by this. Jesus came from heaven to the earth. He lived a perfect life. He died an atoning death. How many of y'all are thankful? He rose from death on the third day, victorious over every enemy you will ever face. Okay. He triumphed over death, hell, 
and the grave in particular. When Jesus died, he died to save you from your sin, to deliver you from the curse, to break the yoke, to set the captives free. And how many of y'all know only Jesus can do that? How many of y'all know you can't do that? (laughs) Jesus alone does that. And so what I'm trying to show you is that Jesus came to do those things and nobody else can do those things. Only he can save you from your sin. Only he can break the back of the power of sin in your life. But with this established, although, listen carefully, Jesus, here's the way it said, Jesus can be imitated, but he can never ever be duplicated. In other words, there's just one Jesus. Are y'all with me today? There's just one Jesus. But there is an imitation element in the ministry of Jesus, that his desire was for what he taught and the way he lived and the the, the legacy that he established to be passed on beyond him. And and that is how, that is how we should think as well. It's not just about my generation. It's not just about my life, but it's about those who come after me. And so Jesus wanted very simply the message of who he was to get out. And it got out in the first century. People were saved. People were set free. Demons were cast out. The the sick were healed and the the lame walked and people's souls were saved. We see that in, in the first century. But thank God, we also see the same in the second century, in the third century. And we've seen the power of God throughout the centuries that God has been working in history because all history is his story. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about today? God is working in history. And that is because God is faithful, but that's also because of men and women who received the baton from the previous generation and they've run the race with endurance. They've run the race with purpose. They've run the race with this message of salvation. And here we are today. Think about it, saints. Here we are today, saved and set free and members of the church of God because somebody came before us, somebody went before us and faithfully proclaimed the gospel. How many of you are thankful for the previous generation? for the saints of old who've run the race and they ran it well and they finished the race. Yeah. And so today here we are, we are to receive the baton from them and we are to run the race. And Jesus gives us a glimpse of what this is to look like in Acts chapter one, verse eight. We're going to have it up here on the screen. You should all know it by heart because I preached uh, around 40 messages from the book of Acts and reference this passage many times. But Jesus says this, you will, let me give you my translation. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit, there it is, has, will, has come upon you and you will be my, what's that W word? Witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the, you say it, to the end of the earth. In other words, uh, okay, Jesus is saying, I've done what I was sent here to do. I ran the race. I finished the race. But, but now, now you disciples, you apostles, you believers, you are to go out into all the world and bear witness about me. Tell the world about me. Preach the gospel. Share the good news. Y'all get after it so that your generation knows and so that future generations will know that those are the implications of what Jesus is saying here in Acts 1.8. Now, we've all heard it said before, if you want something done right, you got to do it. If you want something done right, you got to do it. Say it louder. How many of y'all know sometimes that's true? (laughs) 
But when we look at the, the Bible and the story of Jesus, he could have stayed on earth and continued the work of God on his own. But what I love about Jesus is that he delegated the work to otherwise imperfect people to carry on that work in his absence. It's been said, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. And that's true at times. Or how about this? If you want something done right, send someone like yourself with the same values and the same principles. And that's what Jesus did. He sent people like him who had been under his ministry, under his teaching, who weren't him, but were like him in certain respects. And they went out and listen, y'all, they changed the world. Pastor Scott, what are you trying to do at Midtown? What are you trying to do through your, your ministry? The one that God's given you? Oh, it's very simple. I just want to change the world. <laughs> you say, well, that's a big task. Listen, I'm not thinking about the globe. I'm thinking about my world. I'm thinking about my family. I'm thinking about my community. I don't have worldwide influence, but I do have some here. And I'm here to change your world with the preaching of the gospel, with the word of God. And when your world gets changed, you go out into your world and you share the same life-giving, destiny-transforming message. How many of y'all know there's power in the word of God? How many of y'all know there's power in the promises of God? How many of y'all know there's power in us proclaiming it everywhere we go? Oh, and I love, I love, I love this emphasis, this emphasis of the, the next, who's next, the next generation. And so this is legacy. We look at Jesus, this is legacy. He did what only he could do, but then he handed on what others could do to them and they ran with it. And we see that the, the future is influenced by him, but without Jesus physically present, he departed to heaven. But how many of y'all know his influence continues right now, right now to this very day. And so the question I'm going to ask and then answer, and this should, should is a key word, should be a, re a relatively short message, uh, is this. The, the question is, what kind in particular, what kind of legacy did Jesus actually pass on? That's the question I'm going to ask, and that's the question that I'm going to continue to answer here with three points. First of all, if you're taking notes today, you can write this down. What kind of legacy did he pass on? Well, first of all, Jesus passed on a legacy that upheld the dignity and the value. Everybody say value. The dignity and the value of all people. Jesus passed on this kind of legacy. It was in him and he got it in them. He got it into others and it's been passed on throughout the ages. And by the way, if you need a book to read, get the book. What if Jesus had never been born by D. James Kennedy and Jerry Newcomb. Get the book. What if Jesus had never been born? They go through history and they talk about the impact that Jesus followers have made over the last approximately 2000 years. And they go through all the things from the, 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 uh, the, uh, the uh, ascension of hospitals, the development of hospitals, care centers for the poor, for orphans. Of course, atheists have cared for the poor and for orphans as well. But historically, they show that Christians, listen, Christians with the values of Jesus have led the way in care and concern for the poor, for children, for women, for outcasts, for those in society who've been pushed aside. They show how the church has historically been those who have brought those people into their ranks, loved on them, raised them up, 
and viewed them with value and dignity. That is a distinctly Christian thing to do. And we see this, we see this through history, but it started with Jesus. It really did. Jesus is the one who came along and he drew, he drew close those who were being pushed away. Why? Well, for several reasons, but the son of God is the creator, father, son, Holy Spirit. Our God is three in what? In one, God almighty created heaven and earth and it was all good. But we're told that the crown of God's creation was the creation of humankind, male and female. He created humankind to rule over the earth. And we're told in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, watch this, that humankind, male and female, we are made in the image of God. If you're wondering today uh, why you have purpose, why you have value, why you are what I say you are, it's because ultimately you are made in the image of a great God. You were made in his image. You were called to reflect his attributes in the world. And therefore, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. It doesn't matter how sinful or how broken you are or your home is. It doesn't matter where you come from, how much money you make or you don't make. The bottom line is the Bible teaches that all people are valuable because we're made in the image of a great God. No other beings have that privilege the human beings have it because we're, we are made in his image. And so everywhere Jesus went as God, as the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, he saw women who were pushed away and he, 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 he brought them near. John chapter four, the story of the, who, who knows it? The Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. Now th think about what Jesus could have said when this woman of Samaria, who was despised, who was an outcast, who came at that time of the day and went, well, no one else was there. So, uh, you know, it's the hour of shame instead of coming earlier or late. She's in the middle of the day coming to the well to get water, knowing her story, knowing how bad she was perceived. Think about what Jesus could have said to her at the well. Samaritan woman, get away from me. <laughs> He's like, yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. He could have driven her away, pushed her away. Don't you know who I am? I'm the son of God. I'm from heaven. You're a Samaritan. You're an outcast. You've been with all these men. No, instead in Samaria at the, at the well, Jesus ministered to this woman. She was there to get what? And Jesus offered her something way better than physical water. What did he give her? Living water, spiritual water, water that would quench her thirst, water that would satisfy her. We see this in John 4. We see that Jesus called the children to himself. Others were pushing children away. And Jesus said this, let the little children what? Let, let them come to me. He, he called children to himself. Those that society was pushing away, those that even his disciples were pushing away, Jesus called near to himself and in doing so showed the value and the dignity of those individuals. Why? For many reasons, but because all people, no matter how broken they are, no matter where they come from, all people say it with me are created in the image of God. And no one knew this better than Jesus. And we see it throughout his ministry. We see it throughout 
the centuries after Jesus went to be with the Father, we see this Christian value upheld and we should continue to uphold it today. And the application for us, very simply, there's way more to say, but let me start here and remind everyone, everyone listening that no matter where you come from, you're made in the image of God and you're valuable in his sight. Male and female, you were created in the image of God and you are valuable in God's sight. Ladies, maybe you were raised in an environment where you were, you were made to feel less than. Listen, in the kingdom of God, you are not less than, ladies. You are equal to all you're equal to your partner. You're equal to that man in your life. You're equal to, listen, you're not, you're not less than you are. What equal to y'all say with me equal to ladies aren't less than men aren't better than and ladies. I'm sorry if you were raised or you've been in an environment where you were made to feel less than no, in God's kingdom, you are equal to you are equal to, and you have full rights in the kingdom of God. Can I get a better amen, ladies? So we uphold the dignity of women, male and female, and, and men. Maybe you haven't been serving God. Men, men maybe you're, you're, you're down and out. Maybe you've been stuck in a lifestyle of sin and depravity. Even still, wives, remember this. If you're praying for your husband, he's not there yet. Remember this. He is made in the image of God, sinful and broken and not there yet, but still made. Are y'all with me? You're made in the image of God. That's what we need to be reminded of this very morning. Listen, black people and white people are valuable because come on, y'all, we're all created in the image of God. So I'm not going to just preach on racism or against racism when something's on the news. I'm going to do it regularly to say if you, if you have a skin problem, y'all know it's not really a skin problem. It's a sin problem in your heart because really it's a theological issue that you fail to realize that black people and white people, all people are made in the image of God. When you get that, then you show respect for all people who are made, say it with me, in the image of God. Black people, white people, the unborn. Like, why are you Christians all about the unborn? Why do you care? Because all people, including the unborn, who are unborn, not yet born, are still valuable because they're created how? They came forth in the image of what? So I'm not trying to be contrary. I'm not trying to just, you know, culture says one thing, so the church, we're just going to fight back just to be contrary. We're not trying to be contrary. We're trying to be consistent with the biblical message that says that all people from the unborn to the born, the young to the old to the elderly, they're all created in the image of God. Boy, I'm working hard here. Y'all with me today? The unborn, the elderly, the, oh, watch this, the broken and the addicted. And the dirtiest of sinners are valuable because they're made in the image of God. From the saint in the seat to the prostitute in the city square. All people are valuable because they're made in the image of God. I didn't say that all people are saved. I didn't say that all people are going to heaven. I said that all people are valuable because they're made, one more time, in the image of God of God. It's like that hundred dollar bill. You can step on it. You can trample on it. You can throw dirt on it. But how many of y'all know you can pick that hundred dollar bill up and that hundred dollar bill still retains its value, even though it's been through all of that. Let me speak to you. Maybe you've been through all of that. Maybe you've been used and abused and stepped on. Maybe you have misused. You have abused God's purpose for your life. Listen, nonetheless, 
you still hold your value. You retain your value. Even though there's dirt, you are created in the image of God. And therefore, if you're important to him, you are also important to me and to all God's people. Are y'all tracking with me today? What am I talking about? I'm talking about a legacy that upholds the dignity of all people. This is what we see in the Jewish tradition passed down through Jesus in the Christian tradition. And it is one that should continue through our very lives. And with that said, let let me talk for just a few minutes about the addicted. Let me talk about the broken. Let me talk about those who are addicted to alcohol and drugs. Uh, What a sad period it's been uh, really in the last two years. I mean, of course, there have been sad things for all the way back to Adam and Eve. But in particular, um, drug overdoses are at an all-time high for a variety of reasons. Maybe you didn't know this, but... Last year, in a three-month period, we officiated 10 funerals for individuals who died of drug overdoses. Did y'all hear that? 10 funerals for those who died of drug overdoses in a three-month period. Maybe you're here and you lost someone to a drug overdose. Or maybe right now you know someone who is addicted to drugs and you are afraid of losing someone, losing that person to a drug overdose. Well, here's what I want you to know. I want y'all to know this because you took part in this, even if you didn't know all the details. We have helped over 200 families struggling with addiction. You, with your money, you sent and paid for 50 men and women to begin their addiction recovery journey with our partners in Adult Teen Challenge. Y'all helped with that. Why did you do that? Well, there are a lot of reasons you can name, but isn't it because you, like Jesus, you see all people, no matter how broken, no matter how dirty, no matter how simple, don't you see them as still made in the image of God and worthy of every dime and dollar you can give to see them set free? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but isn't that a part of it? I think that is. And we have this retreat center at sunset uh, called that, the Retreat at Sunset. And it is a ministry that centers on hand selecting and recruiting and then assisting, watch this, assisting men transition out of long-term faith-based drug and alcohol treatment centers, watch, into society. Okay, so to keep this all clear, how many of y'all know it's a really good thing to be set free from the law of sin and death and from your addiction? But there are people who get set free from sin, but who never find out what their real purpose is. It's one thing to be set free from. It's another thing to walk in purpose. There are people who get set free from everything I've just talked about. They come out of it and then they don't have anything to step into. And there are people who got delivered out of Egypt because they don't have anywhere to go. They go back to Egypt. At the retreat at sunset, we are helping men in particular who come out of that lifestyle, help them understand that they were created by purpose, with purpose, and that going back to Egypt is not one of them. God has called them and and created them and crafted them for purpose. And we're going to see men come out of this this process who are going to go into full-time ministry. They're going to get back, not just into society, but actually into their purpose. How many of y'all know there's a big difference? You can be back in society, but not know your purpose and still be in bondage, still be in darkness because you don't know why God's created you. Well, that's what we're helping these men do through the retreat at, 
at sunset. In particular, there's a man uh, who, who's been through the program. His name is Jacob. And Jacob is, a, is a, just a really special uh, case because, well, Jacob entered Adult Team Challenge uh, in that program in just terrible condition. As a matter of fact, the staff and the faculty defined Jacob as one of the worst cases that they had ever seen. And they had seen a lot. And to say that Jacob was, was uh, one of the worst that they've ever seen, that, that is saying a lot. And so Jacob went through the adult and teen challenge program and he got free. Thank God he got free. But the problem was that, well, because of his lifestyle choices, he had a lot of debt. He had medical bills. He had other debt. His two boys were in a foster care program. And so again, he came out free from, but then he had, he had a lot of work to do in his life to rebuild and to repair that which had been broken. How many of y'all can identify with that? God set me free, but I had some work to do to repair some things in my life. Well, Jacob, because of the faithfulness of God and because of the generosity of many of God's people, uh, he, he got into the program at the retreat at sunset and I'm so proud of Jacob because he quickly, with some help, got a job at a local RV repair store. He uh, started serving in the church. He went through driver's ed. He got his driver's license. He took the test and went through all the hoops he needed to to get his high school diploma. He started paying off high school, or excuse me, he started paying off uh, not high school debt, but debt that he had accrued along the way. Uh, he went through all the hoops, went through all the requirements, got established back in society, knowing now that he has purpose. And not only did he have purpose, but now he had a plan to get his kids back. And through just a miraculous set of circumstances, Jacob got his foster kids back in his own home. And listen, there are great ministry aspirations that you might have, but the greatest, the greatest aspiration anyone could have in his position is to be back with his family. We've got some pictures up here. There's Jacob right there with his two boys. Look at that, y'all. That's a picture, a literal picture of the faithfulness of God in his life. And the retreat at sunset had a big hand in that, helping him go from, from, from uh, bondage to freedom and then partnering to get us to the point where we could help him walking back in a healthy lifestyle. That is the miracle working grace of God. And that is also... Uh, evidence of the generosity of the people of God who have made the place like the retreat at sunset a reality. Michael Hankins and his wife have done a phenomenal job there. More are going to come, more of the addicted, more of the broken, more of those who've been set free from all that are going to come to this retreat center and they're going to realize, they're going to find their purpose, they're going to walk in purpose. And I believe some of the most broken people are going to bring some of the most healing, more healing to the world than anybody they'd ever seen. Because how many of y'all know God uses broken people to do great things? He takes broken pieces and he makes into his masterpieces. That's what God does. How many of y'all know God specializes in taking those at the end of the line and pushing them to the front of the line. The first shall be last and the last shall be. Yes, that's what, just, that's what God does. And the joke is on the devil and the glory goes to God because that's what he does. So the power of God doesn't rest on your upbringing. The power of God doesn't rest on your money. The power of God doesn't rest on any of that. The power of God rests on faithful men and women who walk humbly in his purposes. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. If you're faithfully submitted to the Lord, watch out. God will use you. Because I've seen it in my own life as he has miraculously used me. Are y'all tracking with me today? 
Number two, Jesus also passed on a legacy. Everybody say legacy, legacy, legacy of salvation for all people. He passed on a legacy that upheld the dignity and the value, the worth of all people. But he also passed on a legacy of salvation for, for, everybody say for, for all people. And as we see in the ministry of Jesus, he preached, he preached good news everywhere he went. He preached good news, the good news of the kingdom. And what was that good news? Question, what was that good news? Shout out a word. What do the good news involve? Salvation, right? Salvation. This, this English word gospel, it comes from a Greek term, euangelion, which basically means in English, it comes across as good news. But the idea is the good news is not just, well, that's some good news. The good news is that, well, back in ancient culture, whenever, in cases, whenever an army would win in a battle, that particular army would appoint a runner who would, the way we would say is hike up his pant legs and he would run from the victory of the battlefield. He would run back to the capital city. And as he ran, and especially as he draw, as he drew close, he would announce the euangelion, the, the, the good news that the battle had been fought, but the battle had been what? One. And so he would announce the euangelion, the good news. And it wasn't like, Hey, y'all, uh, just let y'all know we've been in this battle for a number of years and uh, we won. It was, hey, y'all, let me, let me say it in English. However they said in their own language, this is how it would come across in English. Hey, y'all, the battle is over. We won. We are free. We're free. We're no longer under the threat any longer. We're no longer under oppression. We won. That's how the word was used. Now think about how that word will be used in, in the New Testament. How many of y'all know because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, we have good news. Jesus on the battlefield triumphed over death, hell, and the grave. He won your victory. He purchased you with his very own blood. And because of him, you are saved from hell. You are delivered from the curse. You are saved. You are delivered. And you are set free. Come on, y'all, that's good news. That's the best news you'll ever hear. And it was really good news when Alabama lost. But listen, it's the best news. Come on, saints. That just ministered to my soul last Saturday. Anybody else? I said it last week. Let me say, do we have any? Okay, Alabama fans here? Oh, I'm not going to do it to you again. It's okay. I'm so glad you came back. Because I said, we have a campus for you if you're in Alabama. This is your campus. Don't, don't you move an inch. But y'all, I'm talking about the best news. That Jesus won the battle. He won the war. So as believers, we don't walk around going, can I share something with you? Jesus died for you and overcame death for you. And like, do you mind if I share this? And like, you have forgiveness of sins and like the promise of a new start in heaven. You get to go to heaven. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Who wants to go to heaven? Who doesn't? It's, listen, and you can say it in your own way. Veins don't have to come out in you like they do in me. Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave. 
And there is a promise. We proclaim, we run to culture, we run to the nations, and we proclaim that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have, come on y'all, what? Everlasting life. Tim Tebow did not write that. That's from the word of God. John 3, 16. How many of y'all know that's the best news? How many of y'all know we should be the most passionate about sharing that good news? And there's a time to whisper. There's a time to shout. Apparently it's the latter right now uh, because I'm shouting at y'all. But I, I want you to hear this because the gospel is not just something I preach on Sunday because I get paid to do this. I preach the gospel, not because I'm paid to do it, but because I'm passionate about it because the gospel saved me and set me free. Come on. How about you? Jesus preached it. Paul preached it. And I just told some pastors in Alabama, I said, listen, don't you dare preach what sells. You better preach what saves. Because there's a way you get the right look and you get the right camera angles and all that. And you can go on YouTube and you can go in front of your congregation and you can preach a milk toast, watered down message that seems to be Christian, but really Jesus is not in it. But it will draw crowds. That's one thing. It's another thing to stand up flat footed with a microphone and say, thus saith God, Jesus is the only way you will perish if you don't repent of your sins and turn to him. But as you do, thank God, there's a promise of heaven for you. And it's all good news, isn't it? Boy, my coffee just kicked in, y'all. First service, I was struggling. Jesus preached it. Paul preached it. How many of y'all know we should do the same? Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? What's it say? Say it. The power of God for salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, all people. Why am I telling you all this? Well, for many reasons, but let me give you the one most relevant reason, because we, we believe that heaven and hell are real and people will go to one place or the other. Now, a lot of preachers won't tell you that, but I will tell you that because Jesus tells us that, that if you do not believe in Jesus and repent of your sins and cling to him and trust him, you will perish everlastingly. It always gets real quiet when I say that. It probably needs to because we need to let that sink in. Apart from Jesus, let me think the logic through. Oh, oh. And then we have the choice to either accept that and rejoice that Jesus has made a way. Or, or on the other hand, we can get upset about that. And some people say things like, well, you know, why? Why wouldn't God just bring everybody into heaven? I've, I've met some people who had the attitude of, when I say, you know, God loves everybody, they say things like, well, why wouldn't he? And I'm like, well, let's start with your pride. <laughs> There's a sense, of course, in which God loves everybody. But listen, he owes us nothing. You understand that? He owes you nothing. People say, why aren't there more ways to heaven? You should just rejoice that God's made one way to heaven. And rejoice in that and thank God that he's merciful to allow you, who I'm sure you're a good person in some sense, but in the biblical sense, there's no one good. No, not one. We're all fallen. We're all broken. We're all in need of the redemption provided by the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank God that Jesus came to this world to provide a way to the father. That is why I'm sharing this with you today. And we're not mad at people. I'm not mad at culture. I'm not mad at sinners. I'm not mad at the broken but I do want a greater heart for them, don't you? 
You know, Pastor Jacob Aranza is a great evangelist. I'm not. I'm just not. I, I, I say, you know, I'm the teacher. He's the evangelist. Uh, Pastor Jacob, you catch them and I'll clean them. Does that make sense? And I pray that I love lost people like he does. I don't think I do, but I want to. How about y'all? He can always love, people, love the lost more too. But I think for all of us, Lord, our, our prayer is God, help us love lost people more. Don't ever forget, people of God, what Jesus saved you from and where you were when he found you. Okay, you were lost, not him. Let's get the language straight. But when he got a hold of you, remember what he delivered you from. And that will generate all kinds of compassion for people who are just like you. <laughs> Doesn't it? The one who's been forgiven much does what? Loves much. So I'm, I'm telling you all this because we love lost people. And we want to reach more lost people in this community. And in our endeavor to do that, in this next new year, we are going to start a new campus. So, my name is Pastor Scott, and I'm your pastor, and you can go once when it opens. You say, well, Pastor Scott, do tell. Mm-mm, I can't say anything else. We're not, I'm not, I'm not, I can't. Pastor Jacob wants to give all the details on November 6th about when this campus will launch and where it will launch. But mom is the word. I'm a vault. If you corner me and try to get it out of me, depends on who you are, I might tell you. what. The, no, I'm just teasing. I'm not telling anybody. I'm not saying a word. I'm not saying a word. But listen, we're going to launch a new campus. Why, why are we going to do that? Well, because we want the name, Our Savior's Church, to be known, right? Well, I mean, there's always a little of that, unfortunately, in it. But no, that's not the motivation. It's not about the name of our church. It should be about the name of Jesus in every community that we can get into. It's about the fact that there are people who don't know the name of Jesus as he really is. Y'all know Jesus Christos, Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. It's Jesus means Yahweh saves. Christos is the anointed one. Jesus Christ, the anointed one prophesied in the Old Testament, who came in what we call the New Testament to fulfill Scripture, to live, die, and rise from death. He is the enthroned one at the right hand of God. We want people, it almost said the place, in that place that we're going to start the new campus, to know him that way. And there are all kinds of cultural Cajun Christians. I know Jesus. I know Je Do you really know Jesus? Do you know the Jesus who breaks the yoke and sets the captives free? Do you know the Jesus who is ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the Father? Do you know the Jesus who came the first time but is definitely coming back to judge the living and the dead? Do you really know that Jesus? And if you don't, let me introduce you to him through the preaching of the word. Boy, nothing makes me happier than preaching this word to y'all because there is life in the gospel. There's power in the preaching of the gospel. And so we want to do that in that particular community, wherever that is. But watch this. Y'all are my favorite service for so many reasons, but y'all are with me. I can feel it. Watch this. Young people, listen to this. We want to reach people locally with the gospel. But in this legacy series, I'm going to ask you to partner with me, partner with us, to support some missionaries in Asia and in Africa. Would y'all do that? 
Watch this. People have no affiliation, official affiliation with our Savior's church. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, why would you throw that in? Well, because you need to be reminded, and so do I, that it's not all about our Savior's church. The kingdom of God is huge. Black people, white people, people of every color, every denomination. Y'all know you have brothers and sisters in Iran, in Iraq, in China. Come on, how many of y'all know you got brothers and sisters all over the world? And I don't know about y'all, but few things made me happier than being able to stand up in front of you and say this. The greatest thing I could ever say and rejoice over is that Jesus is Lord. The next thing is this. We are going to support missionaries in China and in other places as they go forth into culture to bring the gospel to unreached people groups to see them saved and set free. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the distant coastlands rejoice. Come on, y'all. Nothing. Yeah, y'all got it? Picture people beyond you, beyond Acadiana, getting saved and set free, at least in part because of your generosity to support those missionaries. So the kingdom is huge, y'all. Let's get behind it. Y'all ready to get behind it? I want, I want you to give your money to see the gospel preached. I'm not after ultimately your money. I'm after your heart. God's after your heart. If it gets a hold of your heart, the money comes, doesn't it? So this is not a money series. This is a series on the heart. When God gets your heart, everything else follows. Some of y'all are going to go on a mission trip soon. We're going to actually have mission Sunday in November, and we're going to talk about how you can get involved and go. I'm going to talk to you then about how, if you don't go, you can support those who do go. Come on, y'all. It's not just about us. It's about others that Jesus has died for that we want to reach. Number three, and then y'all can go home and eat or go to Jason's and get a big old salad. Number three. Are y'all with me? Okay. First service was out of it. Y'all are my favorite service. Go tell them. I was going to say, go tell them. Lastly, (laughs) in the last 1900 years, Christians have also passed on a legacy. Everybody say legacy. Let let it roll out. Legacy of literacy. Legacy of literacy and education for all people. Once again, get the book, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? D. James Kennedy and Jerry Newcomb. Get the book. In it, they talk about how in ancient culture that education was not considered necessary for all people, but just for the upper class, and those who would run societies. But within a Jewish worldview, within a Jewish Judeo-Christian worldview, well, things were much different. Because throughout Jewish culture, throughout Jewish Christian culture, throughout Christian culture for the last 1900 years, learning and education are part and parcel of the faith, meaning it's just a part of what you do. In Deuteronomy 6, the Bible says this, beginning in verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently. Everybody say diligently. Like, you got to keep after it. Diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. In other words, do it as often as you can, in every position, in every place. And whenever you got your kids around, talk about the Word. You don't have to necessarily just read from the Bible. You can, of course, do that. But speak the Word. Teach the Word. Get it in them. 
And the key word here is this T word. You shall teach. Teach. Teach, which assumes that they can learn. Read, which it assumes literacy. Not all in ancient culture were, 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 were literate, but teach deliberately, diligently. Get it, get it in them. Education has been a huge thing throughout Jewish history. How about, what about Jesus? Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. Here's what he says. You shall, please, this is a commandment for us. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your what? We got that? You got it? Everybody say heart. And with all your soul. And here's the one that we can leave out sometimes here locally. And with all your mind. Engaging the Bible intellectually. What I'm doing now assumes that a rational intellectual process took place before I got up here. I gathered information. I prayed. I put it in order. And I'm delivering it hopefully in a clear manner. I'm here to teach you. It'd be very problematic if I was up here trying to do that, but was in fact not doing that. But the impulse, the challenge, the command, the commission is to teach. It's to train. It's to love God with all of our our mind. We're so emotion driven and emotions are important. But when your emotions are divorced from your mind, and it's just mindless so-called worship. That's not really worship. We are to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. And we need our intellects involved in understanding truth. And when we get that truth, that is, that is fuel, that is kindling, that is wood for the fire of hot worship, white hot worship before God. He wants us to love him with all our minds. And people who want 20-minute messages in and out just to make them feel good, I promise you that will never happen here. It just won't. And I'm not trying to sound better. I'm not better. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying my aim is not to go three hours and preach the everlasting gospel because that wouldn't benefit anyone. But my point here is to teach and to preach the text, what's next in the text, and to assume that everyone here, if you're here and you keep coming here, you have a desire to learn and to grow. Thank you for having that desire. Thank you for having that passion. It's my job and my joy to help you along the way. But as we wrap up, Christians have always taken God's word, at least historically, categorically, over the, over the, over the centuries, pockets of Christianity, people within it have taken God's word very seriously. Did you know that the first universities were founded near the end of the Middle Ages. Did y'all know that? They were founded by Christians. Universities like the University of Oxford, the University of Paris. They were established, they were established for the purpose of training students in Christian theology. Did you know that? How about this? Scholars tell us that nearly every one of the first 123 colleges and universities in America was founded for Christian purposes. For example, Harvard, we're told, was founded and established by the donation of a pastor. Yale, Princeton, William and Mary, Brown, NYU, and Northwestern were all founded by Christians to train people to love the Lord their God with all of their minds. 
Now, how many of y'all know some of those colleges today, and I'm not trying to be ugly. There's some great teachers. There's some great people that go to those universities. But some of the ones established initially for those purposes may be properly renamed Ichabod for the glory of God has long since departed. My point isn't to criticize them today. My point is to show why they were initially founded for the purposes that I've outlined. Think about that for just a minute. That's not on accident. That's because of people called by God with a Christian worldview who held on to and upheld the, the dignity, the value, and the respect of all people. Those who valued the salvation of all people. Those who promoted education and literacy for all people. All that, that's, that's, that's Christian stuff, y'all. Others have done it. Atheists have been involved in education, too, of course. But Christians have led the way. And so, with that said, I'm excited to announce to you all that in January, we are going to relaunch our Savior's College and School of Ministry. My wife and I, we started back in 2018, and we had a two-year internship program that we designed, got off the ground, had some interns go through. And most of y'all probably know this, but for those of you who are new, we were hired 10 years ago to come to OSC to teach and to equip. Here's the funny thing is that we did not move here 10 years ago to pastor a campus. Like I never drove by Midtown ever ever, not once, before God Almighty did I ever drive by and think, that's going to be mine one day. It's really not mine. It's, it's God. You understand now. Not once did I drive by and be like, I'm going to pastor that campus. Not once did I drive by Broussard that we pastored for four years and thought, I'm going to take on that campus. Well, you know, people say, God will never give you more than you can handle. And there's a whole mess in saying that. There's not, that's not true. But I will say this, that Pastor Jacob will. <laughs> And so we moved here for that purpose of training and equipping, starting the school. But then over the years, we've pastored campuses. We pastored Broussard for four years. We've been here for four years. And as I said earlier, some of you have been wondering, there's been a lot of chatter because you're, you're smart people. When, when other people start preaching and I'm out, if you've been around for any length of time, you know there's a transition about to happen. Well, there will be some. I announced one today, but let me just help y'all. We are not going anywhere. I'm going to continue to pastor, to be the teaching pastor here at this campus. I do not want to go anywhere. Now, I hope you'll have us because you're stuck with us. You're stuck with us. I love y'all. Like, I, I can't wait to get her on Sundays. I can't wait to minister to you and lay hands on you and minister and counsel. And my wife can say the same thing. We love this place and the people in it. And so here's what's going to happen. Uh, Pastor David, my sidekick. Don't you love Pastor David? He comes around and cleans up the messes I create. Uh, he counsels y'all, encourages y'all. I beat y'all with the word. He, he gets you back up. Okay, come on, y'all. Pastor, I love y'all. <laughs> you know I love you but we're a great team. We work so well together. We flow so well together. So he's going to be running uh, the day-to-day and keep everything running. Still going to preach and help me here, but that releases me to, number one, preach on most Sundays, but then throughout the week, we're going to launch this new school of ministry. 
this relaunch is going to involve me teaching classes throughout the week, training and equipping your teenagers, okay, in days to come who are going to graduate high school and get into our program. I'm going to be teaching all the interns that come in the program. My wife is going to be teaching leadership to them. And I'm not saying this to impress you. I'm saying this to give you context. In addition to what I do here, I'm also an adjunct professor at ORU, Oral Roberts University. I teach at Regent University on the East Coast, adjunctively. I have PhD students there and I also teach at Mana University uh, as I can. We've worked it out where the courses that I teach our interns here on the ground are gonna be fully accredited. So whatever class they take through me, they will get college credit for every class here on the ground. So it's not just a nice little Bible study. Hey, come be a part. Let me share some truth with you. That's fine in itself. But we are going to have fully accredited courses that we offer for those called to the ministry. Some people in your own home, some of you here are going to be in that internship. And what a joy it is. It's my job and it is my joy to do it. It's what I was created to do. I can't help myself but to teach and to equip and to train. And so we want to carry on the legacy. I want to do my part in that. And so I'm going to ask you, please, to pray about how you will partner with us as we seek to relaunch the school of ministry, the college and the school of ministry, really all in one in the new year. January is the goal. I want you to think about and pray about how much you'll give to help us. We have dorms to renovate, housing to provide, and many, many, many needs. But to give you the bigger picture, this is not about us. It's about me equipping you and others to reach, to reach the lost, to make an impact generationally. What a great privilege it is to be a part of something like that. And so I just want you to pray. Would y'all do that? Would you pray? Would you just pray about it? On November 6th, we are going to receive an offering. And it's going to go to, we want to to raise $1 million across five campuses. Piece of cake. Piece of cake. You say, really? A million dollars? Listen, with people as generous as y'all, with people like y'all who are so consumed with the things of God, a million bucks is nothing. But here's what we want to raise money for. To recap, then we're done. Number one, missionaries in Africa and Asia. Number two, the new campus that is yet to be announced. Number three, the relaunch of Our Savior's College, the retreat at sunset. And then finally, we want to support a local pregnancy center. And I just received this data this morning from Pastor David and really through Tara that This local pregnancy center has been in operation for over 25 years. And since January this year, 35 babies have been saved from abortion and 57 women led to the Lord. Now, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood is soaking wet. That's easy to give to, isn't it? It's easy to give to. So we want to continue the legacy of Jesus I want you to stand to your feet with me right now as we close. And I want you to do something with me right now. We're almost done. I want you just to lift your hands like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for your great call on our lives. 
Lord, I I pray that you would stir every person here. Stir us, God. Stir us, Lord. Stir us. Lord, I pray you put dollar amounts in our minds and hearts. Lord, and and God, I'm asking that you would make a way for everyone who's going to give. God, make a way. And Lord, I pray as the resources come in, Lord, we're going to use every dime and every dollar that you give. Every dollar that you give here at Midtown. Every dollar given at the campuses across Acadiana. Every dollar get donated. Lord, we're going to use it for your glory and for your purposes. And so, Father, I pray that you would stir, stir this within us. God, give us a passion. Help us see beyond the day-to-day, beyond what's just right in front of us to even what's beyond us. The opportunity, Lord, to plant the seed and for future generations to eat the fruit from that labor. And so, God, we thank you today. Thank you for the great call of God on our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you've chosen us. You've appointed us and anointed us to do this in this hour. So, God, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Almighty Holy Spirit. And everybody said.